This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Spear Factor Spear Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Whitman, and I just want to give you a quick announcement. Um, I will be out of the office until January, um, so I hope everybody has a good holiday season. But uh, if you're wondering why I haven't gotten back to you or there hasn't been much communication, this is the last podcast I'm going to do until I get back, uh, back basically in civilization in January. So let me just start this off with uh, this podcast is with Cameron Gregg. He is a gentleman who spent years traveling through Latin America, uh, diving and kind of just cut, cutting his teeth in the areas down there. And he also has a company called Tag Spear Guns, which does carbon fiber travel spear guns. So we talk extensively about that, and I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Don't forget, if you want to step up your spear fishing, go ahead and check out spearfishingmentor.com. There's spear fishing classes. One of them's for free. Give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect. If you were to purchase the master class, there's over five hours of information on there for you guys. So be sure to check out spearfishingmentor.com. Now I'd like to thank our sponsor, Mr. Ted Hardy of Immersion Freediving. Uh, enter promo code SPEARFACTOR for 15% off uh, on his 28-day freediving transformation course. And uh, it's pretty awesome. I've used it and I recommend it. So you can find this course and the other courses Ted puts out for us at freedivingsafety.com. Um, like I said, enter the promo code Spear Factor for the discount. And thanks, Ted, for sponsoring the show. Our next sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, Paul has offered us 10% discount with a promo code Spear Factor. So thanks, Paul, for making badass guns and uh, providing a hookup for our listeners. And Chimera Side Slip. So Chimera Side Slip, you can purchase those at Chimera Spearfishing. That's K I M E R A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before in the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. 
Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code SPEARFACTOR, all lowercase, at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor Podcast, feel free. Uh, you can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. Like, I can't even remember um, how we even linked up. I don't even remember. <laughs> That's one of the things I was going to ask you. Yeah, because I saw your I saw your text or something. You're like, I don't even know how I got this. And I'm like, I don't know either. But I remember, I feel like maybe it was um, from the website or something. And, and then, I don't know. I don't remember. Um, well, well, the contact was in my phone, Brett Spiro, but I have dozens of people on the phone that are something Spiro, right? Uh-huh. And, um, <clears throat> so I don't know if we met or I was connected with you, like back when I started spearfishing in San Diego, uh-huh. maybe someone just said like, talk to, you know, connect with this guy, Brett, and I never did or something. I'm not really sure, but, um, it could have been that long ago. I want to say, though, someone was like, hey, my friend Brett really into spearfishing and he's in the area, something like that, because okay, I don't that think would... we ever speared together. No, that would make sense. Um, so I guess that's a, a good segue into like your history, like because you were living in Kansas, right? Yeah. Um, the last couple of years I was in and out of Kansas. Um, with some family stuff. So I've been, been out of uh, San Diego and really I just moved back to San Diego, um, April, <clears throat> March, April. Okay. Um, after being gone for something like seven years. Um, so yeah, Kansas was interesting. I was able to get into some hunting because there was no spearfishing. Actually, I did some spearfishing in the Ozarks, some freshwater stuff, which was kind of cool. Some uh, stay of landlocked striped bass over there. Yeah, we got to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, like, so that was fun having because you know I talked to Jake Lords last uh, few weeks. Oh, ago. really? I haven't heard that one. Yeah, well, I was curious to see you going from saltwater to then freshwater because he's gone mm-hmm. from freshwater to saltwater. But um, okay, cool. Yeah. So, where are you from originally? From Seattle. Okay. Seattle how did you area. how did you end up in San Diego? Uh so I did uh my degree was construction management and out of school they moved me to Alaska. I built a airstrip up there. And then after that, after a few years in Alaska, they said, Where do you want to live next? Because it was kind of a brutal uh brutal position and place up there. And I said San Diego. Or I said Hawaii or San Diego. And um, then I was on the San Diego airport here a few years on that project. And then, um, yeah, then they were going to move me to out in the desert. And I, I didn't like that idea. So I took off traveling and spearfishing. And that's kind of how that started. They forced my hand on that. Yeah, it's funny how life works that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you um, so... When you were in Seattle, were you doing much in the ocean up there? Uh, kayaking, diving? I know it's cold up there. Kind of. Yeah, it's cold. Uh, I, I was obsessed with fishing as a kid. 
tons. Right. I just could suffer the cold and just watch the rod tip and not catch anything. And, uh, obsessed with it. And then I started scuba. I got scuba certified up there as a teen. Um, my dad was a master, uh, dive master. And uh, so we did some scuba trips with my brothers and my dad. And that's about it, though. I wasn't, I hadn't really heard of spearfishing. How would you just, San, Di San Diego? Well, how would you, yeah, how would you describe, like you've dove in San Diego, obviously, but how would you describe the underwater environment up in like Puget Sound area, up there, Seattle area, compared to yeah. down here? Up there, I think you really have to love like the act of scuba, like all the gear and your dive planning and everything, because a lot of the times you're gonna have terrible viz, it's cold as hell. And when you're out of the water, that's not a relief, it's just colder, at least in the, a lot of the year. Um, it can be really pretty, it just is, is more rare, right? To get really good conditions and see something really cool. I grew up in Edmonds. <clears throat> I don't know if you know the area. No, is that north of Seattle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a little town north, and they have an underwater park there. That's pretty cool. They sunk planes and boats and structures and stuff. So it's cool, but uh, we pretty much traveled to scuba after getting certified. Yeah, I noticed um, I was up there in February diving one time and it seemed like um, the viz was actually uh, pretty good, but um, the, the anemones, the big white ones were like massive. I remember like mm. everything was kind of big. There wasn't a lot, but if it was, it was big. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. big octopus. You can get some <laughs> big ling cod in the, in the uh, Marine park as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of triggered your, uh, I guess migration into spear spear fishing when you moved to San Diego, I'd imagine. Yeah, I started out surfing when I got here, like everybody, and then had a shoulder surgery injury thing, and I couldn't paddle the board, and I was a shitty surfer, anyways. But um, yeah, I, I honestly think I might have just seen someone come out of the water with no tank and with a gun and a fish like that. And that was the first time I'd really seen it or heard of it. And I just saw that and I was like, Oh yeah, of course I'm going to do that. Like it was kind of just obvious. Um, and it, it kind of just was an obsession since that moment, really. I don't know what it is about that image of someone coming out of the water with a fish and a gun and no tanks but I was 12 and I saw the same image and it was like, it's like the ultimate man card when you're new and impressionable, you see yeah. that and you're like, Oh, that's, that's the shit. Like I want to do that. And I, it's the yeah. most bizarre thing. Cause I imagine if we asked like 10 people, they'd all say the exact same thing. Yeah. 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 Initially it's just, Oh, it just seemed badass and cool. It's not, once you get into it, it's not quite what you expected, but. Right. Yeah, yeah. That first impression is, is huge. Um, so <clears throat> when you got into it, when you were down here, uh, did you have a dive buddy or what was your, what was your kind of way? How did you learn? I guess you could say, how did you get into it? Um, yeah, I had a, I linked with a couple dive buddies. Um, God, I, 
it was a while. It was, I think, what, eight, nine years ago now. So I'm not really connected with any of them. But a couple of dive buddies, a couple of guys with boats who were like pretty well versed in it and kind of taught me some stuff, but not not too much in the free diving side, just the a little bit of spear fishing tactics. Um, but enough to like get my first white sea bass, get some yellowtail and, you know, enough to get me really into it. And, um, and then took a free diving course here, FII. Uh, the guy was Mark Lozano. I don't know if he still does it or not. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a few years ago. I, um, I think he was like one of the original guys here. I remember. Yeah, all I remember, I, I, so. I ran into him at Del Mar. I saw him at Del Mar Fairgrounds, and I had just heard about him. I think I saw his pamphlet or something somewhere. And I remember this is not real funny, but I remember he had like the biggest quads. <laughs> yeah, like massive legs. It was like yeah, kind of short and built. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. holy shit, man! I got must kick like you know for days. Um, right. that's cool. How, so how many people were in that first class? It was big. It was, it was one of those, uh, instructor plus a, uh, an assistant uh-huh. and like seven people or maybe more than that. Yeah. Pretty big. I think seven people, uh, pool session. And I want to say just one open water session. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you think about it when you took it? Were you like, was it what you thought or? Yeah. I mean, by that point I had been spearing quite a bit. So it was like kind of checking the boxes, like to, to hit the depths and stuff that we needed was uh, really comfortable, but it was cool to, to have them explain all the other stuff, right? The, what's your body's going through and um, some relaxation techniques, equalization stuff, simple finning, uh, form and stuff like that and obviously the safety safety side of things right Uh, that was good to learn yeah so were you when you came down here did you join like the a club or kind of after a little while i joined the s is it sd freedivers yeah yeah the san diego freedivers yeah so yeah i've uh been a member off and on with them i just for some reason haven't really been too involved haven't been to many uh, meetings or anything but are you, do you go to those no you know what's funny is uh i'm well right now i definitely i try to go to at least a couple a year but i just it's hard and um you know i have like a little group of friends that i i usually dive with so it's not necessarily like i need a to find a dive partner, but it's also kind of cool to go and, um, you know, to share things with people. And then like, it is nice to be kind of dialed into the community, but I am terrible at making it. Cause like they usually meet mm-hmm. on Mondays mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, during football season, which feels like it lasts an eternity. Uh, cause we start in the summer. It's like, and I get home from work and then it's like, Hey, I'm going to leave and go to this meeting. Like I just, don't necessarily think it's the best idea. So, uh, so you're teaching football? Yeah, I coach the football. Yeah, or coaching football. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, oh, so your um, military background. Is that right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. Well, happy Veterans Day. Oh, Thank thanks. you for the service. I, I missed yeah. that. Sorry. No, you're good. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So with you though, like how is it that you even found dive buddies when you came down here? Did you just know word of mouth you said, or, um, yeah, what was that? I, I guess I got one of my buddies into it. Um, I, uh, I think there was, I think, yeah, the San Diego free divers had like a Facebook group and you could post looking for somebody to dive with. I think that was probably how I did it. Yeah. Um, now coming back, having moved back, it's like all my friends with boats are gone and most of my dive buddies are gone. And, and now it's like, I'm just struggling to find somebody who wants to go dive. Uh, I know there's a ton of new divers. It seems like, like it's huge. The amount of people I see in La Jolla now diving is like wild compared to even seven years ago. Yep. A hundred percent. It's crazy because if you go to even to any of the kelps, like on a weekend in any of the kelp and, uh, they'll be like boats stacked and yeah. like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you'd be like, Hey, that's so-and-so that's your buddy. Like you just know the three guys that have boats that dive. And now it's like, you better get on it early cause it's packed. Um, mm -hmm. there does seem or to be like, avoid the weekends. If you can. Yeah. That's pretty much what I do. Cause if you can just avoid the weekends altogether or save it for going offshore or something. Um, what, a yeah, it's it the it seems like there's a huge population of newer divers, I'd say, like five years or less, maybe, or maybe even some like two or three years. And then the it pandemic does pandemic era divers. Yeah, it, no, that's a really good point. Um and then it kind of just trickles off. You know, and then it's mm. like there's this like club that you're either in it or you're not. <laughs> and it's like the older Oh, I say older guys, whatever, but more experienced guys, like they have their little niche of divers and those are the guys they stay in. Mm -hmm. um, and occasionally you get an invite and you're like, oh, I better not screw this up. I get to try out <laughs> to make new friends, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think everybody's kind of gone through that um, over the years. So um, uh, did you go through that at all yourself? Or are you current? You're kind of currently I'm going through that. I'm kind of back in it. Yeah, I'm back <laughs> in it now. Uh, yeah. So whenever I meet somebody, yeah, definitely trying to like make a good impression. There's a couple of people, um, I go dive with that are like half spear fishermen, half, uh, fishermen. They're not super into it. Um, but yeah, I've got, a, I'm taking applications for dive buddies for sure. Are you into... I've uh, also just been away. I haven't been diving here a ton. I, I try to get down to Mexico, and I've got some buddies down there, but... Yeah. Where in Mexico? In Baja. In, um, <clears throat> mostly out of La Ventana. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I did see on your... You went down there on your... Uh, recently, right? You just... Not that long ago. Yeah, just like a month ago. I've been a few times this year. What and, What is it you like uh, about it? Um... Yeah, the town's just the Cortez side of Baja is incredible. How you get so often you get like lake conditions. It's just so foreign to me having dove like all the Pacific side of everything. And uh, so just the surface conditions are amazing. It makes for really like easy breathe ups and nice dives. Um, and then obviously coming from here, just getting clear water, 
clean reef, you know, clear water around the reefs and stuff. It's beautiful. But Mexico in general is just, it's always a lot of fun. It's good and good adventure. Right. Yeah. What, um, what you get uh, down there quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, uh, I, I saw you guys have the little, is it, do they call it a tiger cat or a thunder a cat or what's that? cat. Talker cat. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool um, little weapon. I'll tell you what, man, that thing is a little weapon. It was so cool. Mm -hmm. And if anybody goes down to Mexico a lot, like, you know, the price of gas and everything is killing everybody and it's passed on to the consumer. Shocking. Well, when you go down there, um, you know, you always try to use like local guides because you want to help, you know, the local community. Um, but we were staying down there one day we took the local guide out, uh, and it was really cool. We actually got some the best conditions I've ever had on the Sea of Cortez side one day. It was just like, wow. It was probably, you know, 70 feet. I don't know. It was, be it was beautiful. And, um, and like everything with the tide, it doesn't necessarily last that long, but it still was really good. Mm -hmm. But we had that little, <clears throat> that little talker cat. And, um, you know, we weren't going that far. Like a lot of places in Baja, you don't really have to go that far. There's just no road. So it's just literally around the next bend sometimes. And we mm -hmm. took that thing out, uh, in the evening. Um, after we got back, we grabbed a sandwich and, uh, we decided we were going to go out till dark, you know? And, and it's so funny being a fisherman originally, and just growing up, you know, doing this whole thing for years, I I found that we fell into this routine of you go out, you know, at six in the morning uh, or seven and you fish in the middle of the day <laughs> and then you come back, you know, around two or three. Right. And uh, and that's kind of the routine we fell in the last I would say, honestly, like the last few times, maybe even the last couple of years, I don't know. Well, we decided to stay out till dark, you know, and then like a light switch, like golden hour, you know, and there's just Cabrilla coming out of the woodwork. And it was so thick that I had a, like a 44 inch little gun because, you know, the visibility isn't always great. And um, I'm sitting and I couldn't even pull it out to shoot because it was such, I mean, they were literally swimming right in front of me. And I like, how do no I pick way. this gun up and shoot without spooking everything? And I'm like trying to pull it back. And, and then at one point I just stopped. I didn't shoot anything really. I only shot, I think like two fish the whole trip. I just sat there and was just like looking at all these, like, you know, 12, 15 pound Cabrillo just swimming in front of me, just out That's of wild. the woodwork. And we had dove it at like four and then you know, it's same spot. And then for whatever reason, light switch, they just started coming out and then it got, you know, got dark eventually, but it definitely makes it harder to see them, but it was just incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just funny cause we yeah. just felt kind of silly, you know, cause it's like, yeah, duh. Like we already knew this, you fish in golden hour, dawn or dusk or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. duh. I mean, that's one of the, one of the first people I linked up with down here <clears throat> that taught me some stuff. You know, he was, he didn't say a lot, but one of his things was, it's, it's a lot about just time in the water. Like we were going for white sea bass a lot and you'd be out there for hours. Like, do these things even come around ever? 
And he's like, it's just about being in the water because at some point today, the current's going to switch and then they're going to be there. And you just have to like be focused and be ready for when they do show up. But that's kind of the thing you're, you, uh, yeah, we might, we might waste a lot of time, uh, in certain parts of the day and think this place has no fish when it's yeah. really just a timing thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen that. Uh, numerous times people are like there's no fish there's no fish it's like come back in an hour mm-hmm. um literally well, hey that's good to know yeah and then i tell everybody too when you see those things or notice those things like in your notes on your phone or something whatever it is make a note of it like i mean a lot of it is um you know there is a, an element of luck to it but if you can notice a trend then um follow the trend it'll definitely increase your chances uh you know but that like you said it's it's really time in the water you know if it's not time in the water in my opinion it's luck because yeah and they're kind of connected yeah exactly and so if you spend enough time then you increases your chances of you know it's like so well tell us about your first white sea bass um it was uh it might've been like my first or second time spearing from a boat <clears throat> and we we're out on the edge of the, like that North edge of the kelp out of La Jolla. And, and he said, I remember him saying, yeah, we're just going to cruise this whole edge, but we're not going to do any diving. We're just going to go along the surface because your chances of seeing them from the surface are pretty high, but you don't want to spook them. And so we we're kicking around and, and then I see one not in the kelp, just out in the open water. And so I kick out and, and I'm able to like come down from kind of like the top and, and get a shot on it. And it was legal, but it was small enough that the guy was like, yeah, next time you see one of those, just let it go. <laughs> but I had no idea. I'd never even seen a white sea bass. But um, I mean, it's a. I was thinking the other day and, and listened to some of your podcasts, how some fish now don't seem to give you much uh, response, like shooting a, a yellowtail is kind of like, I don't know, at some point it, you don't get that excited about it, but like that first white sea bass or even any white sea bass or um, <clears throat> my first shot at a bluefin tuna this year was like full adrenaline rush, like back to the beginning of spearfishing, how it felt. Um, so yeah, the, that's definitely, um, a fish to remember the first white sea bass. I've only had a few really They're They're tough fish. Yeah. We, and like you said, we had talked about that before, um, a couple of friends and I, where you can see how some of the older guys, um, like Terry Moss that ends up just filming them and getting away from it. Cause like, I'd hate to think that you'd be other than eating um you can't that rush you get right like when i I think i was probably talking about shooting yellowtail on kelp patties and stuff it's like i'm gonna let you get this or that because it's you know unless i need it for the freezer i'm I'm good i don't need to shoot anything else but um that's what's so kind of fun about going to places like talking about la ventana because you just go to new places and it kind of sparks that that feeling again because you just never know what i mean it could be a hundred pound wahoo you know you just never know mm-hmm. what you're going to encounter 
compared to your home spot that you dive where it's pretty standard fish after some yeah. period of time, you know? You're not really going to get surprised yet. Right. I mean, every now and then, but that, like you said, that's time in the water and you're talking about years of diving somewhere and it's like, you might have one of those, oh shit moments. Um, mm -hmm. But you can guarantee if you go on a trip somewhere, you, you might have one of those moments. You're more than likely going to have one of those moments and it may not even be that big of a fish, but it's just the fact that it's something unique and different and learning how to hunt all over again um, in new mm -hmm. areas is pretty cool too. And it might not even be a fish, right? It could be some encounter with whale or dolphin or, or whatever. I was in um, La Jolla earlier this year and I was just down on the shore dive down on the bottom and something's coming towards me, but it didn't like, didn't match up with anything that should be in the water there. Like it was big and dark or coming too fast and coming right at me. And I'm like, well, it can't be a big calico. It just didn't make sense, but I'm holding my gun towards it. And it was a bird <laughs> and it comes right. It didn't really see me. I'm like crouched on the bottom. It comes right up to my mask before it realizes. And then it kind of like backs out and shoots out of there. But stuff like that is like, you just don't know what you're going to run into on any given dive or, or session. <clears throat> it's definitely part of the uh, uh, appeal and the allure to like the ocean in general because like I've said it before in this podcast the first that you always have where you just never know like you spend your whole life on the ocean and you still have room for these first time experiences mm -hmm. that uh, you really learn to embrace and honestly treasure because it's pretty cool it's why we go out um, so when you started, when you go down to La Ventana, have you been anywhere else in Baja or are you, I mean, you just kind of have um, me going there. You got it dialed. Yeah. I mean, actually, yeah, I've done quite a bit of Baja. I used to do it in my camper van. I, there's still so much that I haven't even touched down there, but so I did, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I did a long trip. Um, when my, uh, when the company wanted to move me to out of San Diego, I just booked a one-way ticket to La Paz, uh, Mexico. And I had my fins on the outside of my backpack and, and my little two-piece gun in my backpack. And then it was almost two years going down Mexico, Latin America, all through South America. And pretty much just like Google Earth scouting places. <laughs> just looking for like rocks or bays or something that looked kind of remote and fishy. And then just figuring out how to get there, trying some spear fishing, moving on, you know, failing a bunch of times. Um, so good amount in Baja um, still feels like I've like just scraped the surface of it. This episode is brought to you by Neptonics Spearfishing. Uh, go check out neptonics.com for the absolute best, most reliable spearfishing gear at some of the best prices in the market as well. Uh, the thing that I like about Neptonics is you know the gear has been tested on there and they're not gonna have some generic crap on there. It's all gear that works and people use it every day uh, with great results. So don't forget to put in the Spear Factor 10 promo code to get 10% off, neptonics.com. 
So I get this question a lot as far as can I recommend a charter? And I absolutely can. Lineage Charters here in San Diego uh, does giant bluefin tuna trips, uh, multi-day trips. And Captain Bly is your guy. He's got over 30 years of spearfishing and commercial fishing experience. So be sure to check out lineagecharters.com for offshore action. Let's talk about that because we need to revisit the uh, two-year hiatus of diving and spearfishing. And it's funny because it seems like those opportunities always come when you're new. And you're like looking mm. back because I did the same thing in Fiji where I was like, oh, my God, if I had a clue, like, ah, but it didn't yeah. change anything. Like I said, it was a first. It was pretty awesome. So with you, you were in between jobs or your your company was going to move in between projects. Mm-hmm. So what was your you said you just Google Earth. Where did you go? Man, I went through, uh, I think, every country in Central America besides um, uh, what was it? Honduras, I think, was the only one I didn't spearfish in. Um, and it seemed to be easier to get fish on the Pacific side, so I kind of stayed on the. I did some on the Caribbean, but uh, the Pacific side seemed to be a little better spearfishing. But yeah, went down Guatemala, El Salvador, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. And then, um, <clears throat> and a ton of good spearfishing throughout there, just finding like somewhere kind of remote, like a little village, not really near some big city and trying to find something that was like a bay or at least a point. So I had some protection. So you might be able to find some good diving regardless of the swell. And sometimes the swell would just, you wouldn't be diving for weeks, but. I was going slow and able to just be patient. Um, and yeah, so a lot of like the, the sense of adventure doing that was, is totally different than like chartering and you get a guide and they take you to the spot, right. To, to like look at Google and think there's rocks there and there's a swimmable rock. It looks like a quarter mile out or something. Wonder what's on that rock. And then you take five buses to get there and you're in the town and you finally kick out and check it out. And then it's, it's either good or crap or whatever, but the sense of adventure and sort of exploration and that was, uh, I mean, that's something I still try to recreate, uh, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it was just an unbelievable trip. Um, and, and sort of a, uh, like a really slow learning curve for me. I was still, only a few years into spearfishing, but all these new habitats, all these new areas. So it was, it was just figure it out at each spot sort of thing. That sounds incredible. And I, I agree with you. I, that's, I still, that's the way I like to go. It's just like that is the adventure of looking Even at, if you fail. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Suspense of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the journey. I mean, the satisfaction you would get out of doing something like that and scoring is huge, you know, magnitude of, mm-hmm. um, exactly. accom- it just feels like a great accomplishment compared to, like you said, paying something, going to shoot something. Once the picture is posted, great. Ever, you know, other than that, it's like, all right, it's another check. Cool. Mm-hmm. But 
that adventure is supposed to happen. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you're, you know, paying what they pay, what they charge now too. It's like, but mm -hmm. it, you know, Latin America, it's like, I could take that and spend a year down there. Um, you know, um, or a month at least. Uh, yeah. But I, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. That's the best. That's the best stuff ever, man. Um, where, was there any countries that kind of stuck out to you that you were like, I got to come back yeah. when I get a chance? Yeah. Speaking of like just picking stuff off a map, um, there was a couple spots in Nicaragua that were like nobody's fishing, no local fishermen, no divers, no nothing. And then you find like a cave with big cubata or, or, you know, a yellow tail snapper or whatever. Um, and you're like, does anyone even know this thing's here? Like this big cave 30 feet down, or is it like nobody has dove this? Uh, <clears throat> so Nicaragua had some good spots, Panama, Costa Rica. The more you like get out into little, little towns and then take the time to walk like a half mile to a spot rather than just kick in where people are at the beach. Uh, I found that to be better. And then the really, the one that stands out the most was the Pacific coast of in South America. And that was, uh, it's kind of weird. It's like almost disconnected from that you fly there. I think you can access by road up North, but the rest of it's like disconnected. It's like jungle meets Pacific ocean like dense jungle meets Pacific ocean and uh, feels like a different country than the rest of Colombia. And over there just off the shore was kind of unbelievable spearfishing right offshore was really good. Um, probably comparable like New Zealand shore diving was pretty incredible. Um, but those two kind of stand out to me. You're writing down these, these spots to check out. No, I'm, I'm, it's funny. Uh, I'm looking at the spot that you mentioned the area. Cause I've already looked at it before and there okay. was that, and I'm actually going to edit out the, the name some of, of that, the, some of it just for respect, um, to make people earn it. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, cause I had, I had already been looking at that one spot and then I looked, there was an Island way offshore. Um, mm -hmm. but I guess it's a natural park. And it's funny, the spot that you had mentioned, the area that you had mentioned, I had, the country you had mentioned, I uh, talked to a friend from South Africa on my very first podcast ever. I think the first podcast I ever did. And he was saying that um, he thought the same thing. And I don't know if it was from all the issues with the rebels and all the other stuff, but you know, it, there's always an element of danger too that always makes it that much awesome. Because <laughs> there's a couple other places in the world that I had talked about that I'm trying to go back to that I had the fun privilege to go to uh, when I was in support of the military. Um, that were just incredible fish, and I I don't know sketchy. Know, what's that? But kind of sketchy. Yeah, but it was the same thing. I exact. I said verbatim the same thing. Does anybody know this exists? It's like you feel like it's a secret. And you're like everybody, just shut up. Like looking yeah. around. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've heard this too, but I've talked about this too. If you want bigger or better fish or different fish, do yourself a favor and don't go to the same spots that everybody goes to. 
don't be afraid to go above and beyond. And if you don't, it is, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes it's the same fish, but I'll tell you what, when you do it and you score, um, it's pretty damn special. That's for sure. And, uh, yeah. and then I almost feel like too, you get protective over your area, not for the sake of, I want everything here is mine, but for the sake of like, if I shoot a fish, okay, cool. I'll take one. But this is a pretty special place when you consider it. Um, when you compare it to everything else and you realize how truly special those little spots are and how important it is to kind of manage it, you know, even with your own, your own crew of guys. Um, cause I've found a few spots like that where it's like, we got to take care of this place. We can't just go you down here and clear it out. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. That's really cool. Um, and, uh, where did you have any besides spearfishing though, when you were traveling through, you know, Central America, South America, did you have any, uh, sketchy stories or any kind of adventures? Cause I've, you know, I know how it is. Um, not, not as many. I heard about a lot of them. I heard about a lot of, uh, it's usually people were out drinking and like a girl, it's almost always a, a girl decides to like, go check out the water at night in the dark. And someone just robs them at knife point and takes their shoes and, and phone and stuff. Um, I had one guy, barely an issue, but a guy tried to like pickpocket me and we got into like a little scuffle, but it was like nothing. It was kind of just in passing. But luckily, no, um, not a lot of issues. After two years there, the um, part of it is I don't get real drunk and go walking around and expose myself like that. That is a wonderful message to all you guys out there, guys and girls. Don't be stupid. Don't be soft targets. Don't get drunk. Don't don't play uh, stupid games in other places because you're. Yeah, I just think like especially being a six foot three white guy, you already got a bulls. You don't blend in. And if I'm drunk, um, and we're first world people, you know, and it's like. Don't wear a shiny watch. Don't wear this. Don't wear that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of, I stayed at like hostels, did it as cheap as possible. This, cause it was two years down there with no income. So I did it like cheap living in, uh, sometimes living in my hammock in the woods or hitchhiking and just like really bare bones. But a lot of these hostel, hostels, a lot were, um, a lot of times were the cheapest. And they would often tell you, like, right when you get to there <clears throat> and sign in, they would say, here's a map. This area of town is, you don't go at all. This area of town, you can go in the daytime only. This area of town, you um, want to be in a group of people or only, at, you know, you don't want to be drunk. So, And then they would say this area of town is, like, considered safe. And so a lot of times they would kind of set you up for for safety in that they actually do the same thing for the military off-limit areas okay and stuff. And, yeah that makes sense. and i've found myself in a few off-limit areas you know and <laughs> it's definitely like uh we need to get the fuck out of here right now like you can tell um uh -huh. but uh i've also had some great experiences too but i wouldn't encourage anybody to do it um yeah uh but and um so you, go ahead did you spearfish back then yeah in the military yeah okay so you got 
to do I've that been, um, in conjunction. I, yeah, I try to mix <clears throat> business with pleasure as much as I can, I guess. <laughs> like I've always, always been. They at, say you should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, uh, you know, well, the last 20 years I've been a contractor. Uh, and the the beauty of that is being a contractor is you're A, a civilian. And for me, I was just attached to a platoon of guys. So I had no oversight, which requires like maturity and big boy rules. But for the most part, it was get your job done. Um, so, um, yeah, I had. And if you got a really cool group of guys that you support that are on the same page, work hard, play hard. Um, it works out for everybody. Um, yeah. So that was. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and uh, next month or I'm sorry, next week. I leave for a month <clears throat> to go out on a ship and uh, not real excited about that because I thought those days were behind me, but it is what it is. Um, when you get told, you say, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. I like my job. Wow. Um, but on the way back, I'll be stopping in you know, Guam. And so I extended just a couple of days because I want to go home for Christmas. But, you know, it's like those opportunities try to take advantage of them best as you can. So at least link up with the buddies and do a day of diving, you know? And, uh, because otherwise, like I, I just couldn't stomach paying $2,600 for a plane ticket to go mm -hmm. somewhere. And, you know, it's much easier to do that, uh, on a government's dime, <laughs> mm -hmm. trying to mix business with pleasure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because $2,600 could take you real far in uh Southern Baja or anywhere really. Latin yeah. America. Yeah. Yeah. Especially being so close here to Baja, it's hard to justify. Like you can fly down out of Tijuana for like a hundred bucks and right. it's hard to justify going across the world sometimes. Yeah. How did you, um, especially cause you start to realize how good our fishing area is here just, you know, within striking distance. But, um, how did you get linked up with La Ventana? Was that from your trip when you went on your two year hiatus or, um, a little bit. So I did some diving out of La Paz. Um, I mean, how did I get linked up with Lantana? It actually might have just been that it's kind of become this name in spearfishing and, and Palapas has become this sort of destination. Um, and, oh, and a friend of mine, the, my buddy who lives down there, he came and and took a course or a couple of courses. I was teaching free diving for a little while in the Philippines as well. Uh -huh. And, uh, and doing some spearing there. And a guy came and took a couple of courses and we were just shooting the shit and talking about traveling. And I was like, Oh, you got to check out. Baja. It's, it's beautiful. Not in a spearfishing context, just a place to go check out. And, um, <clears throat> then last year, turns out he had just moved there, this Argentinian guy. And so that was kind of my connection. And he's, he spears all the time. He's buddies with all these, all the captains and stuff. So it's just a good, easy connection that he's on like first name basis with everybody. And it's all like smooth to go down there and try to get some fish. Nice. I, um, I realize now what you were talking to me, I think you originally messaged me about diving in La Paz area or somewhere or like looking for recommendations maybe. I, oh really? I, I believe so. And then I think that's how we linked up. It's still kind of a mystery. It's kind of cool. I don't remember. Way I don't, back then. Yeah. Somehow I, I got linked up with a guy. Um 
a Mexican really good diver who, um, what did he do in the pod? Anyways, somehow I got linked up with a really good diver, super friendly, took me out, or we, we split a pongo a few times out of the pause and had a really good time down there. I don't know if you had set me up with him or not, but I would do, I would do like at most places I'd go to, you could just ask the fishermen, like who here spearfishes, spear and there could be one or two people, but I would also do YouTube. So YouTube, like La Paz spearfishing. If someone, if some video pops up, you contact them and say, Hey, I'm in your area. I need a buddy. That was kind of my, my main method of finding people. No, I, I love it because so many people just want, they just ask, but like there's, seems like pretty easy if you just uh, do a little bit of research, you can mm -hmm. find connections. And I think the spearfishing community is pretty cool like that too, where everybody really friendly and excited to dive with new people. Um, yeah, people are real cagey about, uh, like if, if you come and you say, hey, where do you recommend I go spearfishing? People are understandably pretty cagey about that. But if it's someone who's just new who wants to go spearfishing and kind of get some guidance, then I think most people are really stoked on that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that's really good because one way kind of hints at, I don't really want to dive with you. I just want to find your spots. And the other way is, hey, I just want to go and enjoy like the roots of diving and, and see your area. It's like, well, let me show you my area. Not my area, but the area, you know. Um, when you did you dive on the Pacific side on that area as well, like going across from like Mag Bay uh, and those areas? Yeah, some I dove Mag Bay uh, a little bit in was it December? I want to say we were down there for the Marlin, the um, sardine run. Uh huh. And dove with the Mar we didn't we weren't spearfishing Marlin, but we got some wahoo kind of like on the way out to just check out the Marlin. Um. And then some north of there, but nothing south of Mag Bay on the Pacific side. Yeah, it's um, the Marlin. That must have been a pretty cool experience. Did you get in the water with them? Yeah, it was a trip. It was a bit spooky, to be honest. Like, if the bait decides to use you as its little, like, hiding thing, and the Marlin are not really concerned that you're in the way. Right. right. They blast right past you. It's a bit... At first, you just think, oh, they're, it's, we're here swimming with the marlins, but it's actually like you're just in the way of the food sometimes, right? Try not to get stuck. But stamped. no, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, right. And there was a rumor. I, I still haven't heard it was true. There was a rumor that someone was stabbed down there. I believe uh, it. I mean, Late last year. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, it totally happened. <laughs> yeah, it's got to happen at some point. Very cool. So how did you go from getting into free diving, spearfishing? Now you threw out the Philippines thing. Now we like warped into the Philippines. How did that even happen? And you're teaching free yeah. diving now. Yeah. Uh that was just so so I had made the travel spear gun. I basically recreated Rife's gun initially. There they had like the two stainless rods that go into sleeves. But they still make them the, the travel euro and uh speared with that around here for a while and and um then before i started traveling i was like oh, i want to make one out of carbon fiber so i made a carbon fiber one that i took through latin america 
and then came back and made a couple more kind of improved models. And then I just, I just wanted to be able to dive deeper though, right? I had taken level one years before, but I just was kind of interested in how, you know, if I could dive deeper and, and to learn like really how to do that. So there was a uh, free dive HQ is what it was called. I don't know if it's still the name. I know it's been sold. Um, but yeah, stayed there for a year and within a few months had kind of like gone through all the classes and, and gone through instructor and then started assisting and helping with the, helping with the guys who were there, just training depth, <clears throat> um, assisting courses. And, and then eventually the, the owner was just like, Hey, let's just get you teaching a level one and, or, you know, assisting level one, teaching level one. and um, so I ended up doing that maybe six, seven months in the Philippines, which was a blast, uh, really challenging. Um, but we had one to two person classes, which made it a little bit less stressful as far as like safety side of things. Uh, we kept them really small, but I mean, it was interesting. It was a huge number of Chinese students. And a chunk of them didn't speak English. So some of the classes were with a translate, bring a translator. And so you'd be teaching free diving to someone else. Hopefully they understand it and hopefully they translate it. And it was a bit tricky, but a lot of fun. I've dealt with that with Koreans, uh, scuba in uh, Guam. My buddy's okay. a scuba instructor and he said the same thing where they got to like tell the translator and then everybody's like, okay, cool. You know? And it was, uh, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting because he says, so they get, they get Koreans, Japanese, um, you know, any, all the different types of Asian countries and cultures come there. And he said it was so, they were out of where they were, he's in Guam, Guam. but he said they come to visit because it's so interesting. And he's, uh, his wife is Korean. He's Chamorro, but. He was saying that it's so interesting because like with the Japanese guys, they show up and they are like lined up, very disciplined, very serious. Like, like there's like cultural norms and cultural expectations when you take a class that each group that came from, excuse me, wherever they were from, uh, China or uh, Korea were very different. And you knew like, Okay, this is a Japanese class because obviously they're Japanese, but uh, like they are like locked up. And then he's like, I forgot who he was telling me, and it might have been uh, Chinese students that were maybe it wasn't Chinese students, somebody else that was like, I don't remember exactly who, but he said like they were all over where they'd like corral them because they would be like, guy would be over here trying to go down, like, no, hold on, hold on. And I don't know, maybe it could have been a shitty translator, but he goes, dude, mm-hmm. it was crazy. But it was interesting because he'd get the South Koreans and they would tend to do certain things. And then the Japanese would tend to do certain things. And he goes, it's, it's incredible to see how cultural norms transition over, you know, I mean, I guess you could say that about any culture, especially with Americans and Mm -hmm. our reputation and stuff. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's really funny. I didn't, didn't know if you ever noticed that dealing with different students and things like that. Yeah, I mean, um, 
I mean, the, it was a French-owned. Thibaut Guignez was the owner. He's a really deep French uh, free diver. Uh, so it was almost entirely French instructors and a lot of French students as well. And I don't know, I don't know how I would explain them, but like they're distinctly French in how they act. And um, uh, yeah, and then strangely, I was just gonna one other kind of funny story it was there's this apparently a huge like mermaid craze sort of thing in in uh, china i think i think it's in china yes yeah. where they like go and watch these mermaids in tanks right have you seen that and they're like really yeah, I have. Yeah. so a lot of the divers would come because that was the end goal it wasn't to free dive or to spearfish it was because they wanted to do the mermaid stuff um and a handful of them would come they couldn't they couldn't swim at all like they'd come with no swimming experience but they're like no i want to do the mermaid mermaid thing <laughs> and so um yeah some of that was really tough obviously you get people who are like terrified of the ocean and you're like what made you want to come free dive if you can't put your mask in the water right you're that scared but um I mean, at the same time, when those people spend the like month there and they can get through the fear and then they can dive 10 meters, that's like to see them do that. And their, their response to that is way cooler than seeing some experienced surfer come and just bomb down to 20 meters right away. Right. You know, so their, uh, their appreciation for it is huge. It's like life changing for them to do it. Yeah. It's incredible. And, and so, I think too, cause the water, you know, water is such a great equalizer for so many people and for someone not to be uh used to it that could significantly um change their lives just to be able to conquer that fear you know mm -hmm. and, and i think some people yeah. think like diving to 30 feet is in, is impossible to, for them you know and really if they just practice a little bit and they do it that goes back to what we were saying where that yellowtail that that kid or that newer diver shoots means way more to them than if I were to jump in the water and just plug the thing. Um, well, yeah. and it also, if you're with them, it like you get to experience that energy. It's very gratifying. Shooting it. Right. Yeah. Rather than you. And yeah, I get a lot out of that, out of like a new, new person or, or like a buddy that shoots their first fish, of whatever species. And, um, it's almost like you're more stoked to see them do it than if you were to shoot it. Right. I, I agree, man. I, maybe I'm getting older too, but it's just, Oh, we're all I, getting a little older. <laughs> I think, uh, I think something about, and I, this is what I enjoy with coaching is when it comes together and it works and you taught them a skill and then they apply it and it works like to those kids. And even those newer divers, like it, it, like you said, it's life changing. It's about doing something, working at it, having it work, accomplishing like that whole thing. And then with that comes confidence and that confidence. I think the, the key thing is that confidence changes every aspect of their life, not just playing football or not just, um, shooting a fish. Like mm. that confidence is like if I did this, then I know I got this. Like maybe public mm -hmm. speaking isn't so bad for me if I can, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah Cause it, it went from like a phobia to a, something they're comfortable with. Yeah. 
that process, yeah. right? And it's a good, I mean, life's pretty much like that um, on so many yeah, aspects. I had, a, I had a, a student who was an extreme version of that, where the first day of level, or the first day on open water, she, um, and we, so we were doing all drift diving there. So the boat would take us out and he would kind of guess the, the current and he would drop you off out in the middle of this channel with your buoy. You, you line dive, but in that time you would have drifted, but we're in like a couple thousand feet of water, but you'll drift like a mile. It picks you back up, takes you to the resort. So you can't see. So for the beginner divers, you can't see the bottom at all, which is another kind of layer. You know, another layer of fear. But th this girl wouldn't get off the boat the first day, just shaking, trembling, would not get off the boat. And so uh, you know, I said, okay, well, we'll try again tomorrow. Um, the next day she got off the boat, but she wouldn't put, she wouldn't look into the water with the mask. And she was like finning furiously, like trying to be out of, trying to leave the water. She, she wouldn't like relax into oh, it. Oh yeah, I've seen that. And then, uh, and I was like, okay, so the next day, it was, we're going to, on the count of three, we're going to put the mask in, but only for like five seconds or something like that. So she would put the mask in and just be, be terrified again. But at some point, she was there a few weeks, she dove 10 meters. And so for her to go from, she couldn't even touch the water to diving 10 meters is like this, I mean, unbelievable um, distance covered for her. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I've... Yeah, that's, I know, I know what you're talking about where they have their head out of the water and they're kicking, like they're trying to like walk on the water. <laughs> yeah. I, I may have I'm seen that with out. a, with a relative of mine and I asked him, what are you doing? And this person, I won't mention his name. No, he said nothing. He didn't just look to me with his eyes like that. I go, are you nervous? He's like, Yes. I'm like, you should be. There's 3,000 feet of water underneath you. That's totally normal. You're, it's okay. If, you know, and then work through it. And then all of a sudden, like you said, they're diving, but it's funny. Just that first jumping in the water, I'm like, yeah, it's not natural. We're not mm -hmm. of this type of, uh, we're not of this environment. But um, very cool, man. I yeah. think, yeah, that, that's the best. That is, that is the best just to get people over that because like you said and we were talking about it just i feel like that just um has a ripple effect through everything they do after that in their life like well look at what you did you know yeah. and i tell everybody too it's okay to be afraid like um if anybody says they're never afraid they're full of shit like it's totally okay to be afraid um it's what you do when you're afraid that that counts you know and and you you want to retain some of that fear right just forever really uh, yeah like for me uh <clears throat> people always ask about people who don't spearfish they ask about like sharks and i mean just sharks and you're like well i'm more afraid of blacking out and after that i'm afraid of being hit by a boat and after that i'm afraid of like really strong currents and then maybe sharks right but um there's certainly like being in water that's just faster than you can possibly swim is like it's obviously scary and I, I don't want, you know, you're always going to have that fear, which is a good thing. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, yeah, a lot of things that kill you. Mm -hmm. Just plan for it, recognize it and plan for it and, you know, have some sort of plan, if you will. Um, so 
you went from, you've been spearing now for like eight or nine years, correct? 10 years. Mm-hmm. And you're back in San Diego after working, doing more like construction work. Is that correct? Um, no, actually, after the Philippines, I, I came back, scrapped the two guns, built another two guns and went to New Zealand for a year. And so I took a buddy, a buddy and I went over there, rented a van and we just did the whole thing and a bunch of shore diving and, um, which was unbelievable over there. The, uh, the amount of fish that you can access from shore and cray and, and, uh, abalone, right. Um, was just unbelievable. But since then, uh, I had a couple jobs over there, like doing random stuff to kind of, uh, maintain, um, you know, pay the gas bill and stuff. But, uh, since then I I've mostly been out of San Diego taking care of some family stuff. So I, so I was in Kansas off and on Seattle off and on for the last couple of years. Wow. Okay. Well, um, when you so said not a lot were, of diving, no, but you said uh, you were freshwater, uh, spearfishing. What's the yeah, biz so, like in the Lake of the Ozarks? Like three so feet. This was, I'm not going to say the specific lake, but it was in the Ozarks. Um, okay. It was a tri- It was so weird for a lot of reasons. One, no current. Uh, no, I mean, obviously no predators in the water. No um, sound. Like, you know how when you're around the reef, it's just loud with all the shrimp and whatever, everything and fish the- and shrimp. And there's just no sound. Right. Totally silent, which is kind of trippy and you don't, you don't even realize it, how weird it is. But, um, and then the thermocline was unbelievable at the top. You're sweating without a suit on. Like it's, it's really hot at the top. Uh, I was wearing like a five mil top and shorts or something like that. But then you hit the thermocline and at the bottom, you're instantly like (laughs) freezing cold. Um, and the viz, yeah, it went from like three feet at the surface and you break through at like 35 feet and it's clear, but there's no light left. So you really need time down there to, for your eyes to adjust. So you drop down through it, you get down to the bottom, you try not to hit any, any big trees because those are all flooded. They're all damp man-created uh, lakes, right? So you try not to hit any trees on the way down and then you just kind of sit there and wait for your eyes to adjust. And it's the big stripers, right? So they'll, at some point they kind of like come in, come in closer, don't move at all. Um, it was a lot of fun. You can only shoot one fish a day. What size uh, of the stripers? Nice fish. Yeah. Got some fish like 30 pound class. Uh-huh. Wow. They're really good eating, which I was, I wasn't sure about having them in the lake, but yeah, it was a trip. What did you, were you a lot, were you hunting any catfish either or just stripers? Just striper. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I wanted to ask you, let's see, well, how are you rigging up your gun? You know, cause you're ob- with no visibility. There's all kinds of crap in the water, right? Cause you're dropping into, like you said, sunken woods basically at times. Um, mm-hmm. Did you just have a reel or did you have? A float line? Um, no, I was uh, using a float line, yeah. Okay. And also, like, there's a lot of guys fishing out there. 
on boats. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and they're not really used to divers in the water. So like I had a float line and a big float up there just to mark my, my spot up there. But yeah, I actually don't fish with a reel a whole bunch. Uh, I did traveling because you didn't want to carry a, a float and a float line and everything. So I was usually hunting with a reel, but if I have the choice, like if I have the ability to bring the float and the float line, I usually pick that. So, uh, did you ever have any issues with the float line getting stuck in the, uh, in trees, the trees and all that? No, I, I don't think I did have any of that sort of tangle. That's good. I guess if you're dropping down and you're not really searching on the bottom, you're dropping down and staying still, then you don't necessarily. And a lot of it's, yeah, a lot of it's just dropping down. You're just dropping blind. So you don't really know what depth you're at, like until you've done a bunch of drops. And I had some local intel. A buddy was like, yeah, you want to find this depth. And, um, so there was a lot of dives in like the, <clears throat> the shallower spots where there's a lot of stumps. And then eventually you find a spot that's a little more open and the depth you've been looking for, but luckily you don't drift off of it. So right. like you find your spot and you're, you come up and you're going to be in the exact same spot every time. Yeah. I was thinking you could even take like a free diving setup where take a float, drop a anchor, anchor it up right there in that spot and just bounce dive on that spot all day mm -hmm. long i mean whatever until you shoot one mm -hmm. so very yeah. cool how did you cook the uh striper um i like to just kind of make tacos if it's fresh enough um with most fish well i like to i like to eat a lot of it sashimi you know a lot raw and then if it's been in the freezer for a little bit that'll be like tacos and then if it's been in there too long that's a smoker that's kind of <laughs> how i do it yeah. Have you ever tried uh, dry aging? Any of that? Not any long period of time, but for sashimi, I like to kind of pat dry and then leave in the fridge um, for like a couple of days. So it, it kind of dries out a little bit and it gets some of that sliminess off of it. But no, I haven't. Do you do that? Yeah, I've done, I've done it. Um, and I've done it. And my dad was like, that's the best fish I've ever had in my life. I, really? I was three was days though. I just dry aged it in the refrigerator three uh three days Tuna? um this was actually grouper or no it was cabrilla yeah um and it was ridiculous but really? it's the same thing i've always heard this too like you know everybody says fresh fish fresh fish fresh fish is very fishy so mm -hmm. you just let the rigor mortis kind of kick in and break it down and then have it the next night or something like yeah. that yeah yeah Especially like tuna, it just does better after a few days in the fridge. Yeah, I mean, Tastes it's not better even. I, I agree. And the only thing is, if you got to have, you know, you start shooting twenty, thirty pound fish, and your wife's like, "What the hell is this in the refrigerator?" <laughs> you run out of space. But one of our buddies has a restaurant, and he hangs it in his restaurant, like commercial everything. And it's a perfect spot for it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I don't have that luxury, but. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, I've done it a few times and it's really significantly noticeable. Yeah. I've wondered if it like concentrates because to me with fish, you don't really want to concentrate the flavor. That's why I always wondered about dry aging yeah, but maybe well, in a few days. It's not doing that. Right. And I think you, well, I know they dry age stuff for 
like a while. I'm like, well, hold on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, you know, the biggest thing is wiping that slime off, wiping the slime off and then taking a super sharp knife and cutting that first layer of skin off, but leaving that fat oh, okay. that kind of coats it and then okay. elevating it and letting it essentially dry out is what you're doing. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I did it for three days. Um, and it was really good. I mean, I gotta say it was definitely, if I had the space, if I have always had, if I have the space, I do it. Even when I go to Mexico, I try to bring back at least one fish whole so that I can do that. Um, just cause it's so it's worth it. Uh, but usually mm. it's fish tacos. Yeah. Now, did you, did you dry age a fillet of it or a block of it or was it? No, it was fish? a whole fish. So oh, wow. when we'll do in the dry age, it's whole fish. However, when I'm just doing my, I do the same thing that you're talking about. I just take a, a fillet or a chunk of it or whatever it is. And I'll let it sit in the refrigerator and kind of dry out a little bit. Um, mm. That way. And then, um, uh, that's kind of like, yeah. And that way it's, I just think it's a much better uh, texture and a better flavor than, yeah. you know, um, but and I mean, the biggest the thing, back. it all starts with gutting it, gilling it, um, you know, bleeding it. Like we did a comparison. It was funny. Like one of my buddies did this, he cut one side of the gills and left the other one. And so we're flaming. We're like, look at the difference in, you know, blood in one side of the fish, which was pretty kind of, um, from a footage standpoint, it was kind of cool to see like, this is one side of the fish blood nasty. The other side is beautiful, white and clean, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, keeping it cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, and then, and then not letting it warm up once it's, uh, once it's been cooled. Yeah. Or once it's been frozen. Right. Right. Um, yeah, the process. It's so funny. I mean, but I I think that people don't think about it as much with meat. Um, because we just, you know, we all start out like a lot of people that get into spearfishing, like maybe fish wasn't a big part of their diet. So it's like, oh, it's meat, you know, meat, it's like let it thaw out, freeze it, let it thaw out, or come on, bring it, cook it. But when you start doing fish and you start figuring out to properly do it. And then you taste a, a fish that wasn't properly prepared or whatever. It tastes like cat food, you know? It, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a little more, um, yeah, it certainly takes a little more precision in, in handling uh, fish, I think. I mean, even same with like wild game. It's kind of the same. Th I mean, just uh, wild meat, you need to handle it different. And it's a bit more... Uh, like specific in how you prepare it too. Like you could, you can think that you hate venison because it just wasn't prepared properly. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I haven't hunt much. I hunt a little bit like uh pig. Um, what else? I think dove rabbit like, but I really haven't hunt a whole lot, but I, mm -hmm. it makes you, it makes you wonder like, are we so desensitized to what we've been eating? Cause we don't know any different that what a really good piece of like to say elk meat tastes like versus 
the shit you get in the stores where they, you know, with the cows and how they treat them and whatever, how they treat the meat after the fact, like, cause they're mass producing it. Like they don't care about certain things. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel like once you've got, once you get into hunting and you start preparing the meat, the way that we, you know, care for our fish. And again, cause I haven't done it a whole lot. Um, you would probably ruin the taste of regular meat for you as well. <laughs> You'd just mm. be like, yeah, yeah, this is garbage. You develop a taste for like, but, but yeah, you're, it does, uh, it's easy to screw up. It's really easy to come out with a, a like a tough piece of meat. Right. With, with the, with wild, cause there's just no fat in it. So like you have to be very precise in what temperature you're bringing it up to. And so you don't create this tough worn out thing. And that's just regular meat in general. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Um, very cool. So you now are diving in the lakes. You're moving back to San Diego. And the next thing I see, you've got tag spear guns. And I was like, yeah, what? Okay. So let's talk about that. Uh, tag. I mean, what kind of prompted that? And where are you looking to go with that? Yeah, so it's kind of been in the back of my mind for a while since I've made now, I don't know, seven or eight, uh, like, versions of this carbon travel gun. And initially it was just because I was like, well, I want a backpack and I don't want to carry a sport tube. And I don't want people to see that I have a spear gun everywhere. So that was for my own use. But then enough people were saw it and you know express interest like oh you know make me one i gotta get one but i was always traveling and so i just would say well i'm sorry i'm not able to at the moment and i was refining it over the years um and then yeah it just got further and further along where just obsessing over making it better and better and um then just decided yeah enough people want it i'll try to I'll try to see if I can, I can uh, produce them fast enough that it makes it worth it to, to do it, right? Right. Um, which ended up, I used to build them all like carbon fiber, uh, resin infusion layups, like really time consuming. It would take 30, 40 plus hours per gun. And it just didn't make any sense like you're never gonna be able to sell a gun like that really because it's just too much time and um so in the last couple of years with this newest one uh, i've had to outsource a handful of things so like the tubes are made by somebody else uh, the tubes and the connector piece um because that's it's essentially i guess you haven't seen how they connect but it's essentially like a zero tolerance um connection between the two tubes so it's a bit of a specialized like machine that has to make that um and then i have the handles made sorry i think you're on mute sorry i mean how do they when they connect up i mean is that proprietary or or how do they they just slide it into um, the other one it's patent pending right now so not necessarily proprietary but um well, you don't have to share it if it's, you don't want to. Oh, no, it's fine. Yeah, um, I can even grab one if you want to see it. 
Yeah. But all it is is a really low tolerance tube. Um, here, I'll grab it. Show it to you. So So it's about as basic as you could do a joint. There's nothing that is um, holding it together besides friction, which was, it's kind of important because like with a rail gun, it's hard to make, it's hard to engineer, like if you wanted to make a clasp or a clip or something like that, then you're making, you're puncturing through the carbon fiber, you're making it weaker. It's a place for water to come in. And so this is just friction that holds the two together. And it's just a super tight fit, like almost airtight uh, fit. There has to be a little relief hole in the, in the other side. Um, and then the, the barrel is cut at a slight angle so that when force is applied to it, it, it like forces the track to line up with itself. I don't know if that makes sense to you. No, it makes, like, yeah, it makes sense. If it's off, if it's off center, you see how there's a gap because the thing's at an angle. Uh -huh. So with the angle, when force is applied to it, it's always, the track's always going to line up. Very cool. So very simple. Um, but, you know, it takes a handful of hours to do that to each gun, right? Well, I was going to say, you did all that by yourself before? Yeah, so before I was attempting to do all that by myself, but it's a lot of, it's easy to screw up. It's hard to, to make it repeatable um, and like do it accurately every time. But it's also just too much custom work, uh, every gun. Yeah, I, when you so, said carbon fiber, though, I was like, because I've worked with carbon fiber on one of my guns I built, and it's a pain in the ass. And mm -hmm. that those hairs get everywhere. And those, I mean, you do carbon fiber, and it's like you're basically mopped out, like kitted up so that you mm -hmm. don't get those carbon fiber hairs in your lungs, in your throat, yeah. in your hands. Uh, I made the mistake of wearing sandals one time. And then I just started itching like crazy and I couldn't, I was like, oh, I did it. Oh boy. Yeah. And and not to mention the dust that you create. Uh, yeah. If you're wearing your respirator, but you're wearing your, your mask, but the dust is still going to be there afterwards. And right. It's so light and fine that it's just kind of like almost contaminated the space. So now, um, now, so I had to do a lot of the work outside, but now the gun, the only really machining I do to it is like cutting carbon fiber. And I just always use a wet saw. Um, so it traps the dust. Right. It traps yeah, the dust in the sense. water and you can drain the water. I mean, do you do it right here in San Diego at your house or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've just got a little apartment with a huge garage and it's, it's all set up for it. So there you go. Very cool. Um, 
so are that's something you're looking to do is like as far as you're producing them now you're trying to get them out there yeah yeah so i've just got enough materials to uh make like a batch of 40 or 50 of them initially and um if they once they start selling hopefully i can kind of reinvest and and get some more more materials um but yeah for now it's kind of uh relearning the social media thing is probably my biggest pain in the ass because i I was away from that for a while and so uh, i talked to you a bit about it but the social media part of it surprisingly is like my least favorite part of it but i think it's probably necessary to get some attention to the guns i i i've said that forever the social media thing is the worst like i have friends that i grew up with that i haven't spoke to in years but i known them since we were kids you know and they're like brad i love your stuff and i'm like ah yeah that stuff whatever it's just you know it's awesome to help people and reach people it's so annoying to be like look at me look at me that's like the worst i've never been that person never wanted to be that person but it's like you have to play that game if that's something that you want to promote any of your stuff or sell something or honestly even just help people like otherwise that's the way people connect and and link up if you don't do that just forget about it i mean it's such a powerful tool then i kind of thought it'd be kind of cool to be a voice of normalcy in social media like do it but be genuine when you do it you know um but yeah it's it's funny how you start to catch yourself oh that only got like 30 likes what's up with that why you know and you're like okay dude yeah and maybe yeah, I i'm take like a back in that game after <laughs> years of being out of it and like not never even thinking about it um now i'm back in that like and it doesn't make any sense to me i mean i've you've been seeing i've been posting things uh videos of the spear guns taking fish and that's another part of it that's kind of annoying is that it's all going to this really short format like youtube even has uh not reels shorts yeah so it's all short and like the stuff i really like to consume spearfishing wise is like it's this like the daniel mann style stuff like these long stories and and they can tell you details about something crazy that happened i'm not i don't really care to see a fish get shot in like a seven second clip but that seems to be what the algorithms like um like i you'll post one video you thought was cool and it's like a couple hundred views. And then like yesterday I posted a video and it within an hour, it's like 12,000, but it was a video that I thought is not even worth posting. <laughs> it's just, which video was simple, that the kelp forest? It was just a simple, um, yellowtail getting shot. It wasn't like super yes. pretty. The one where they just swim like pretty close range. Yeah. Right up to me. And somehow it just like the algorithm must've caught it. <clears throat> Doesn't, I don't know how, but yeah, that's a uh, social media is, I think, a necessary evil. Maybe not an evil. I shouldn't say that's a necessary kind of pain in the ass that I got to figure out. I think it's tough, though, when you're not used to being the loudest one in the room. Um, it's uncomfortable. It's very bit. uncomfortable. Yeah. Even like, you know, like we talked about, you put a camera on you and all of a sudden it's like, uh, <laughs> I'm not really that guy. I mean, no point in my life that I ever want to be famous. 
Um, mm -hmm. But you always wanted to do cool shit. You just never really wanted to be be famous about anything or or popular or whatever the word is like. Just be the face of any franchise or anything. But yeah, I think I think it's definitely an. I think I agree with you. It's not necessarily evil. Some people love it. And I know people that are very genuine and they're just really good. At, that's just their character where others it's not. And it's hard. Like, okay, if that's not me, who I am, how am I going to promote this? If, because I can't be in front of the camera and be like, well, look at me. Cause that's going to come across very um, fake. Um, and then the algorithm thing you're talking about, like you'll spend all day editing this masterpiece video in your mind of the story. And the, this is, this is it. This is like mm -hmm. the, the shit of a video. It's going to be awesome. It's got a cool story. This is how you post it. And it's just crickets. And you're yeah. like, damn. And then you post the one that was maybe just a little clip from the same video yeah. <clears throat> or something. And that, that one goes off. Right. And it's, uh, and it's funny cause I think about it. I'm like, wow, I just wasted like five hours of a day. Uh, and then something you did on the toilet sitting there, you post it and it just goes off. You're like, well, I just, yeah. I mean, it's so it's frustrating, but it's kind of like addicting at the same time. Cause you're like, I want to figure this out. I figure this out. Um, do you make many, do you make like longer stuff for YouTube at all? I, um, so I've been trying to, focus on the shorts because that's what the algorithm likes to grow your YouTube stuff. I do post the entire podcast and video and everything on YouTube. And then right. if I have time, I'll take like the topics like that, like little topics that we're talking about, like your custom guns or something like that. And like, and that'll be shorter ones. Or like if someone has a cool shark story or something, I'll post, check out this shark story. Um, mm -hmm. the trip to Mexico last, I think where we lost the boat. Um, oh, yeah, there, yeah, there was a short on that. And then there was a longer version I think I was working on, but those longer versions, like you're talking 10 minutes, like that's like, I'm just bad at it, I guess, but it's like eight hours of work just to try to like easy. Yeah. Easy I was going to say like 10 just to try to get this thing out that nobody really gives a shit about, obviously, if <laughs> If you like, but that's, but you enjoy it more, right? The yeah, longer. I do. I, I enjoy it. Yeah. So, and, and those longer ones really are interesting because that's like a whole trip that you go on to get enough foot. I mean, the amount of footage you need to edit a 10 minute is pretty eye opening. Um, I've learned a lot and I think that's, what's cool about it all is learning. Um, and like you had asked me a couple of questions and, and also through this podcast, you talk to YouTubers like Daniel Mann and I talk to uh, Aquatic Apes, uh, Lenny, and you talk to him on and off, you know, recording. And it's like, yeah, I found this. And you're like, that's so interesting. Like, I've noticed this platform likes voiceovers and this platform doesn't. Mm. Um, super interesting. And um, and it's cool that I, you know they feel comfortable sharing stuff like that. But it's just interesting that like how they work, and you would think that it's something that you wouldn't even notice. But these guys are doing this every day, going hard. Mm -hmm. Like, and they then can make they, a science out of it. Yeah, cool. they do. And then it's also the art of storytelling, and even just the language, the rhythm of their the the way they talk. I mean, you start to notice mm -hmm. it, and you're like, oh, I see what he's doing. It's the same. Yeah thing so then you try to copy that you post it and it does 
terrible. And you're like, I don't get it. Um, And a part of it is, you know, a lot of the guys do well. And Daniel Mann has managed to like really do a great job at this, which I really respect him for it. Obviously, he works in cinematography or, or in that industry, so he's very knowledgeable on it. So he can produce a really good visual product. Um, but some of the guys are diving in these beautiful places, so it's like that makes sense. Very easy, if you will, to like get some sexy footage, blue water, you know, pelagics, whatever. Here, even in Baja, it's like everything we get has like a tent, a, a tent of green to it, or. You know, it's tough unless we go like we shoot those mahis this summer. And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. beautiful colors. This is great for footage. Um, so, yeah, the low vis doesn't lend itself well. I'm I'm realizing too. Yeah. Uh, like marketable or, you know, it's just it not just doesn't look easy. It doesn't look comfortable to people who don't spearfish. Right. It's not, it's not sexy. Pretty. It's not attractive. It's not yeah. a, I did yeah. read something about blue. If you're going to post stuff, blue seems to pop out to a person, um, than anything. So it makes sense though. Those guys that are, you know, in blue water, blue water is just that much more aesthetically pleasing to mm-hmm. just the subconscious mind. So reading all these things like there's a lot of psychology in it right really it's all based in psychology so you read all these things and it's like very very interesting and then you go down this rabbit hole of like and then you have to take a step back and be like wait why the hell am i doing any of this (laughs) i just want to spearfish and help people yeah okay so um i will be out of communication for like a month so it'll be very interesting how when i come back how it's like wait what uh mm-hmm. it might be a good little refresher just to remind me why i do what i do um yeah forced uh forced hiatus sort of yeah 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 i mean if i have any downtime what i'll do is i'll on the ship i'll be trying to cut up all these podcasts into different segments so you can so someone doesn't have to listen to an hour and a half podcast they can just listen that's to a like, good idea you know kind of like the joe rogan model right it's like I just yeah. follow what somebody else does. It's more success, successful. Um, well, yeah, you could find a piece of a podcast where someone tells a crazy story that someone who doesn't spearfish would would click on and watch. Right. Rather than because if you don't spearfish, you're probably not listening to this whole. You're not going to listen exactly. Length. Like what? Like everybody loves <laughs> yeah. shark stories. So that being said, did you have a shark story? <laughs> not really. Not, a, not anything really crazy. Uh, there was a. I mean, a lot of shark encounters, but nothing like that. I mean, nothing that freaked me out too bad. There was a, a overly excited hammerhead out at Cortez Bank one time, and we yeah. had fish on us. But it just was like coming, you know, coming in and out and in and out, and just wouldn't leave us alone. Um, eventually, we got back to the boat, and then. Um, yeah, some like New Zealand really was where we had the most shark encounters. Uh, so over there, most of the guys carry those float boats. Uh-huh. Um, so you put your fish in the in the float and they, I mean, over here, you don't really see that too much, but they were like, oh, you need it. You're going to have sharks on you for sure if you don't, if you don't use these and a few times i mean several times you'd look back at your float boat at the end of your line and there's like it's like a little shark 
thing. Like the sharks are like trying, like following the blood and they're like circling it and trying to knock it and stuff. And so it's kind of unnerving that you can't see them, but you know, a hundred feet behind you, there's sharks hanging out. Yeah. What kind of sharks usually? Uh, they're uh, bronze whalers. Oh, good times. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. And uh, a couple of times, like having them just hanging out at the bottom and having them come like, you know, right in at you, but never really like aggressive stuff. Right. Yeah. Did you have some issues with them? Bronzies? Um, just, you know, in the tropics with not even bronzies, it's like silky silver tips, silver tips were, um, feisty yeah and then you know how it is where you can sense in the water there's some tension it's like because they get more and more fish you shoot so in guam it's like you keep the fish on you and the sharks will stay away in other places you'll get eaten if you do that but if you put it on your float that thing's toast right like right yeah um but and then it's so warm it's not like you want to just keep it out of on the sun or anything like that but um yeah the biggest thing i would say is reef sharks man just getting out of hand like i had them circling me one day and the boat was drifting and i couldn't turn and swim to the boat because every time i turned they would come in from behind and i'd have to like knock them off and i could just feel like it was just getting more and more excited like it was Mm. like i was like okay i gotta be very careful on how i pick this battle like I have to be aggressive, but not overly aggressive because I know I will lose. Like if I go at this thing, he's going to be like, he's going to, you know, him and his buddies might be like game on bitch. Yeah, um, so I had to, over. yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was going on though, is I found out like, I thought I got rid of all my chum, <laughs> but apparently I had like a couple of squid on the back of my, or behind me and I couldn't reach it. So when I would turn yeah. to swim, they were coming in because they're smelling, you know. So it was funny, but you I remember see like flopping around. Oh yeah, I had another time yeah. where I got the my buddy shot this really nice rainbow runner, and it got wrapped around um my float line, and I was trying to grab it and secure it so to like calm all the sharks down and like just get a hold of it and be like everybody calm down and kind of like flex on the thing, you know. Well, it wrapped around and it's hitting me in the chest and it's splashing and it's getting dark. Like it's at dusk and you could definitely see their behavior change. And through the white water, this thing going ape shit. Like I look through the white water and I see the sharks pecks down, like getting more and more fired up. And I'm like, if I don't get like it, ha- it, it happened quick within seconds. I was like, if I don't get this, if this thing doesn't get either, I get a hold of it or it gets away from me. These dudes are going to come in to get this fish and I could get mauled really Mm -hmm. bad and we're you know you're always like offshore banks or something and that was the one time i it got crazy it ended up ripping out and that thing swam off and then i watched these two like uh i think they were gray reefs i don't remember just go chasing after it and just you know it was on but that was when we were kind of hunting doggies and i saw these massive um rainbow runners come in um yeah nothing much here though really uh you know mako sharks here coming in hot and bad viz and we usually just get out of the water Mm -hmm. um i kind of respect them enough like that's not really i'm not going to get bit over a you know 12 pound yellowtail or anything um 20 pound yellowtail but um everything's pretty mellow i've seen a couple of great whites but i've seen them in the boat like hey what's that over there and then or we got out of the water and then yeah, realized, when they're cruising the surface 
Yeah, and then I realized, oh, that was close. Um, but usually, I think when they're cruising the surface, yeah, was, it's it's a little different, you know. Than... There was one uh, <clears throat> one time in the kelp with my buddy back when we had just started diving. I didn't see the shark, but he swears that he saw a great white. Yeah, I mean they're there. Um, yeah, and so we, yeah, it's end of session usually. <laughs> even if uh, even not like not like the chances are high that you're going to have an issue with it, but it just your head's out of it. Or for me, my head's out of it at that point. I see something that freaks me out. Then I'm kind of thinking shark and not thinking fish. Right. It turns into wow. a, uh, you know, it's supposed to be fun, right? And if my heart rate's uh, 120, because I don't know if that thing truly left or is it just coming back around or something, looking for an opportunity, um, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be fun. And I want to go home at the end of the day. So, well, um, uh, how do we find you on social media? Yeah, my personal one that I'm kind of restarting to <clears throat> try to try to get some some stuff going with tag spear guns is Cam C. Greg. So my name's Cameron Greg. Last name's G R E G G. And um, then the tag spear guns is just tag T A G spear guns and websites tagspearguns.com. And yeah, the the Instagram page pretty small just slowly trying to be consistent putting stuff on there cameron i you go by cam or cameron either one's all right either one well i uh i appreciate you uh meeting me on such late notice and um i really do uh really appreciate or i enjoy our dialogue before it i don't even know how it started but it's all good (laughs) it's all good Mm -hmm. it's great to be able to have a mutual beneficial relationship where you're sharing cool stuff and i'm sharing the stuff that i know that that i can help you with um even if it's social media and i'm learning from other people as well um but uh thank you again and and, man i feel like we could talk forever about that two years down in south america that sounds amazing um yeah we definitely well, we'll have to meet up sometime maybe yeah. go, go shoot some fish yeah let's do it but yeah i appreciate um, you having me on um cool experience first podcast <laughs> and um yeah i like your <clears throat> your outlook on spearing is kind of in the same vein as mine so i appreciate that all right that concludes the show for today thanks cameron for being a guest uh and thank you guys for listening um, be sure to check out Tag Spear Guns on Instagram or uh, on the website at Tag Spear Guns. And also, you guys, I will be out of the office until January. So if you're trying to get a hold of me, just be patient. Um, uh, I may or may not have communications, but I just wanted to let you know, worst case scenario, January, I'll get back to you. So thanks again for listening, and you guys enjoy yourselves and have a great holiday season. want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv you'd think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing but as i've learned no matter where i've been 
Whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.